Welcome to the Blackcast. Yes, this is our long-awaited Last Jedi special episode. And I'll tell you right now, it is chock full of spoilers. So if somehow you haven't seen it, why did you click on this episode? Why would you think you should listen to this? Go see it and then come back and listen. But if you're still listening, that tells me that you've seen the movie or don't care if we ruin the whole movie for you. So that is why I, Christian Blatt, at Christian DMZ, am joined as always by Jeff DeRay, at Jeff DeRay. Hi. All right. We're still working on uh, the greetings there, but mm. we're honored to have a very special return guest to the Black cast. <laughs> Dave Dorman, comic book artist, artist extraordinaire, and your work can be found at davedorman.com. Is that uh, is that a, the best place to direct people, Dave? Uh, that's a good enough place, but if they want to see real art, just Google me on as Dave Dorman or Dave Dorman Art, because then you'll get like hundreds of pieces of art instead of just a few. And if somebody wants to follow you on Twitter, it's at Dave Dorman. So you see that's... Correct. That's Dorman, just D-O-R-M-A-N, just one O. Right, not Doorman, as in someone who works at a, you know, a fancy, swanky apartment no. building. Yeah. Uh, Well, Dave, you are our guest, so I feel like it's very important to start with you. And before I ask you about the movie in general, I was just kind of wondering, you know, we've talked to you a few times when there's been a new Star Wars movie, which we're lucky enough to have had new Star Wars movies the last few years. Tell me a little bit about the first time you saw the original Star Wars, A New Hope, Uh, how old you were and how excited you were going into it, if you knew anything about it, and sort of what that feeling was like. I'll date myself. I am 58 years old. So I got to see the original Star Wars in the theater in 1977. On opening day, I was 17 years old, same age as Luke Skywalker. So the movie sort of had a, a, a pretty interesting effect on me because I was able to relate specifically to Luke's character. I had known about the film for quite a while before the film came out because being a, a film fan, I read uh, magazines at the time uh, that were uh, publishing uh, information on upcoming projects. I was also a science fiction reader, so the novelization of the movie actually came out six months before the movie opened. So in December of 76, I picked up the novel. And unless I'm mistaken, didn't Marvel's adaptation also start six months ahead of time because it was six parts, so they wanted the final part to come out at the same time as the movie? That's the way I remember it. No, it it didn't start six months ahead of time. I think it was two two months ahead of time. So it got but a it little did bit start of a head before start. the yeah. film. All right. Uh, because I had known about the film being made and saw a few stills uh, that they were releasing uh, to the magazines at the time, I, I looked at the book and I thought, you know, I'm going to give this a, a read and see, you know, really what it's about. And so I read it, and after I finished reading it, I thought if they can get half of what's in the book on the screen, then it's going to be a fantastic film. And they got everything in the book because yeah. the, the book was actually a novelization. So um, uh, there was very little uh, uh, that wasn't in the book. Yeah, what I honest. remember about reading the novelization is that it, it had tried to allude a little bit more to sort of what had come before, you know, Old Republic, stuff like that. But, uh, you know, I, I, it didn't really have that much of a difference. And uh, No, no, it didn't yeah. at all. So for me, it got me very excited for six months, you know, until the yeah, movie sure. opened. Uh, I also that, saw uh, the original Star Wars uh, in the theater, but uh, I was born in 1976, so I'm not going to say that I was there on opening night. But <laughs> as some of our younger listeners might not know, 
know, movies used to be re-released. And so I do remember going to the drive-in with my parents in 1979, sort of ahead of Empire Strikes Back. And I remember I really had to go to the bathroom and my dad really didn't want to take me because he didn't want to miss any of the movie. So uh, my apologies <laughs> now to my dad. Uh, and uh, young Jeff here is uh, much younger. And I'm going to mm -hmm. just assume the first time you saw a Star Wars movie in the theater, was it the special editions in 97 or maybe even after that? Yeah, no, I definitely, I remember going to see the special editions in the theater. I remember actually seeing it in Cooperstown, New York with my aunt. Of wow. All, of all random places to be, yeah. Uh, and I remember it was like that big deal about how they had glossed up the planet or whatever as the yeah. Death Star was coming around it. And that was like one of the big scenes that they were like, look at this CGI. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Now, did, did you see the films before you saw New Hope in the theater on the uh, re-release? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, my okay, dad so was, you were familiar with it, right? Yeah, my dad was definitely into all the different sci-fi things like Star Trek, Star Wars, everything mm -hmm. that was going on. So I was exposed to it in my own ways. I'm not sure where this would have been in the timeline, but I can remember specifically having the trilogy on VHS and watching it at least once a summer, every summer yeah. growing up as a kid, like watching the whole trilogy just straight through. Well, it's funny because what my family used to do and the part of the country that we're all from, this is something that would happen. Whenever we had a snow day, we would watch uh, all three of the movies just because we weren't going anywhere. And mm -hmm. it just sort of became, maybe not every snow day, but at least once a year on a snow day, we would watch all three of the movies. Uh, this was right. when there were only three movies, of course. There was no... You know, Caravan of Courage or Ewoks Battle for Endor. We just stuck to the <laughs> yeah. stuck to the the three prime films. And yeah, I mean, just those movies were always so special. So look, there's a huge sense of excitement now that there's new Star Wars movies, one form or another, every year. Now mm -hmm. that it's thir three straight years, and we know that we'll have Han Solo next year. So the idea that we get new Star Wars movies is it's kind of amazing because it was always such a, a big event. It was something I was always so excited about. I mean, I was very excited for each of the prequels going to see them in the theaters. It's like, look, Star Wars is going to be on the big screen, and it's new Star Wars I haven't seen. And there's still, like, a huge, tremendous sense of excitement about that. I'm, I think a good way of putting my age in the Star Wars realm is I was young enough to enjoy Jar Jar Binks. Right, and <laughs> our, our friend Will, who's usually on the podcast with us, but he actually has hasn't seen the movie yet. Can you imagine that, Dave? Somebody who considers himself a Star Wars fan who hasn't seen the movie yet? What is that about? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but he saw Phantom Menace in the theater eight times because he was, I think, t how old were you? This is 99. So. 99 would have been like... Uh, 10, 12. Okay, 12. Okay, yeah. So you guys are about the same age. And so, yeah, he just saw it so many times. And yeah, that was the thing about uh, Jar Jar Binks. When you're younger, you're like, oh, he's funny. And uh, I'll. I'll... Well, it's, a whole, it's a whole generational thing. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, that's one of the things that Lucas had in mind when uh, you know, he decided to go ahead with the prequels was that, you know, it was, it was a completely new generation of kids who hadn't seen, you know, an original Star Wars film in the theaters. And uh, so he decided it was time to, uh, you know, get it going again. Yeah, and look... And, uh, and, and Disney's doing the same thing. Yeah, exactly. And I, I certainly understand being critical of the prequels, and there's a lot of problems that I have with them. However, there's a lot of good stuff in there, and each time seeing it on the big screen, I was always so excited. I don't hate any of these Star Wars movies. I don't hate any of the prequels. But what I would like to do, Dave, for you, let's fast forward now, literally 40 years, a little bit more, 40 and a half years <laughs> to this December, seeing... 
Star Wars The Last Jedi and right. what your thoughts were uh, as you watched the movie and when it was over, your gut reaction. I enjoyed it. I thought it was a really good film. Uh, I won't say it's a great film, but it was a really good film. I think that it fit as the middle part of a trilogy. Uh, all of the characters, I think, moved forward in uh, uh, their characterizations. I think the story certainly moved forward. I think the introduction of the new characters it were just as interesting as, as the introduction of, of Ray and Finn and Poe in um, uh, Force Awakens. Uh, so overall, I thought that it was a, a, a great film. I think that it, it worked as the second part of a three-part film. It certainly makes me interested to see where they're going to take it with the third film. I kind of know generally what Disney's doing. You know, I, I won't be surprised when I see yeah. uh, the third film. I mean, I'm not saying that I have some inside scoop on it. I, I can see where Disney's going considering they bought Lucasfilm they're doing all these things, and, and we can get into that a little bit if, if you want. Yeah, we'll, we'll get uh, into that. I just sort of want to go around and talk a little bit about the movie itself. Uh, to your yeah, point, the, the movie itself, the movie itself, um, uh, I think the production was great. I think the writing on all of the films, you know, isn't uh, Oscar worthy <laughs> uh, by any means, but they tell good stories. I think some of the humor was just a little bit forced. Yeah. And and a couple of the, the bits were groanable, but I think some of the, the set pieces, uh, specifically at the end with, with Luke and Kylo, were just spectacular. Um, just really nice stuff. What I like the most about this movie, I agree, those set pieces, the space battles are all very well done, regardless of where they fit in terms of the storytelling and what actually happens. Sort of the spectacle that you're watching is all epic and very well done. The one point I wanted to touch on that you're talking about how this is the middle film now in this, well, this third trilogy, really. And uh, I get some strange reactions when I tell people that Empire Strikes Back is not my favorite Star Wars movie. I prefer Return of the Jedi because it's the end of the story. And mm -hmm. as great as Empire Strikes Back is, it's so much like, okay, we're going to move a couple pieces, like two rows down on the chessboard, but then we're going to stop. And having to go three years waiting for, yeah, but what about, and where's this and all that. So uh -huh. having been old enough to live through it, it was agonizing. And then Return of the Jedi was this release, and I'm like, oh, I also love that movie. And I know people are critical of the Ewoks and things, but uh, you know that's just me personally. So I do feel like this is going to be one of those things where after you see Episode Nine, I think the appreciation for Episode Eight will definitely be different. But Jeff, I did yeah. want to ask you your overall thoughts on Star Wars Episode Eight: The Last Jedi. I enjoyed it a lot. I thought it was really fun, and uh, I'm definitely the type of person whom I feel like this would appeal to more than others. I know a bunch of people who didn't like it. Um, I've got some friends that have told me they, they just hated it. And I feel like what appealed to me about it is what's going to kind of irk some people. It's like the subversion of all your expectations, right? And uh, you were just talking about uh, that three years of anticipation between Empire Strikes Back and uh, Return of the Jedi. And I was just thinking about how a lot of this movie, to me, was a response to YouTube videos, right? Like, there are a ridiculous amount of YouTube videos about who's raised, who raised yes. lineages, who <laughs> Snoke is, who this is, where this is going. And this movie looks like somebody who's watched all those and was like, really? Here's a big middle finger. Like, let me, <laughs> let me tell you a story. Yeah. Like, stop yeah. trying to guess stuff that doesn't matter. Yeah, so Ray's parents are nobody. Snoke's just a guy. 
great, now here's the story. That is an interesting point. I didn't think of it that way. I did think about how it addressed the things that people talked about so much, you know, in the last, I guess it was two years since Force Awakens. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, yeah, 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 it's a great point. It's just like, don't, don't worry so much about that stuff. You know, it's like, just uh, pay attention to the story. I kind of see it as like, you had The Force Awakens, which was, let's kick it off again. Let's give uh, homage, if not like parody of the original New Hope, because we're going to, you know, follow a lot of the same lines. Uh, and, and so it was like appeasing to people. It was like, ah, nice. This is kind of more familiar, but a little bit new. Whereas, uh, and so we like had this starting off point. So everybody's like, ah, familiar, but new. Like, let's follow that same linear storyline. So you have to be like, no, it doesn't matter if she's a Skywalker. It doesn't matter who her blood is. The point of Star Wars was that these people are powerful no matter who, they, who, who are Yoda's parents? Does it matter? Yoda was pretty freaking powerful. So uh, I think getting away from that opens up so much more possibilities in the Star Wars. And I think it makes perfect sense where having already known that Ryan Johnson's getting his own trilogy now. It can be a total offshoot because the force just flows through the people in this galaxy, in this universe. You don't need to go back to this uh, lineage. You don't need to go back to circular storyline. It makes me excited to see where Nine can go because it's opened it up to, all right, now I don't really know what this story has to be about because uh, it's not about parents or redemption necessarily. It seems like it's going somewhere else. And in response to your question, Yoda's parents are Herschel and Myrna Yodenstein. Ah. He did shorten the name when he joined the Jedi Order because, you know, look, even even in that time and place, there's still, you know, some persecution and whatnot. But, uh, you know, again, it didn't really shape who he was as <laughs> yeah, a Jedi. But it was cruel uh, that he married or had a girlfriend <laughs> named Waddle. <laughs> <laughs> that was just cruel. That, yeah, I know. That's, that's really not cool. Yeah. Uh, one but, thought I uh, have into what Jeff was saying, and uh, I'll get back to you in a second, Dave, is yeah. this idea that they dismissed that Ray's parents are nobody so quickly. I was almost like, all right, that's kind of a red herring, though, so it still has me asking the same questions. Yeah. You just said don't worry about it for right now, but it didn't get me to not wonder. I'm like, yeah, but who is this girl anyway? But that question, I believe, was answered in the last scene of the film. It doesn't matter who the girl is. The characters that have force within them are out there. And, and I think that's, that's really, to me, that last scene is telling where episode nine is going to go and then Ryan Johnson's tr trilogy after that is that they're ending the Skywalker story and they're opening up the galaxy to a whole story of uh, Jedi's sort of retaking the um, the galaxy, you know, getting rid of First Order, taking care of, of the citizenry of the galaxy, and not have that tie specifically to one family uh, and that family story. And so that's, that's where I think Disney wants to take it because they want to open it up as far as characters and merchandising and other films. And, um, you know, I'm sure this is not what Lucas had in mind. Um, but we don't know what Lucas had in mind for for his seven through nine. But yeah, but now, I feel like if now, you if you ask him, he'll probably tell you <laughs> what he had in mind. Probably, but it doesn't matter now. <laughs> yeah, it's true because because nothing is is canon unless it's Disney right now, and so I think that you know unfortunately we're going to see Leia pass away. 
obviously, yeah. because she can't film anymore. And it wouldn't surprise me if they did the same thing between as they did between Empire Strikes Back and, and Return of the Jedi, where it was a, a period of time before they go to Jabba's palace and rescue Han. Mm. Uh, you know that it wasn't, you know, within days, there was time to, to reconnoiter things, set it up, set up Leia as Bosch, as the bounty hunter, you know, all of that that, that goes into the first scenes of, of uh, Return of the Jedi. But uh, I think that they're going to do that with um, uh, number nine is have a period of time where... Um, Leia passes away at the beginning of the film, and then we move into Ray and uh, some of those characters building their uh, reputation within the rebellion, and probably not taking down the First Order because obviously they're the big bad, but becoming more of a of a, a you know general uh, a, a commander type uh, thing like the Jedi were. Uh, during the uh, original um, uh, Years of the Jedi. Here's what I think is going to happen. I think Professor Charles Xavier is going to appear <laughs> to Ray and be like, I need you to come with me to the past. And Ray is going to be like, oh, I should change my name. Uh, Do Ray Shmi. And she becomes Shmi Skywalker. <laughs> and she's really Anakin's mom. Wow. Well, look, you know, Disney uh, buying all those Fox properties. Now <laughs> Charles Xavier could indeed appear yeah, in, a, in, a, know, in a Star I, Wars I, movie. I was, I was just having lunch with a friend of mine and we were talking about uh, Fox and Disney. I said, you know, uh, I really don't know what uh, is going to happen with uh, Aliens and Predator. Uh, now that uh, Disney has them, but you know it'd be really cool if there was like a Star Wars, uh, Aliens, Predator uh, thing uh, going on, and then uh, uh, yeah, some of the uh, Wolverine shows up. Yeah, yeah. why not? Yeah. That'd be fun. <laughs> what if you had the Xenomorphs first, uh, like Yusan Bong or whatever, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's just throwing literally every property into one movie, which I think uh, could be pretty amazing. I wouldn't doubt if they do a video game with all of the characters. <laughs> now that, yeah, now that I think will definitely happen. Uh, yeah. Well, I wanted to let both of you go first uh, because I was really surprised at how I felt about the movie. As people who listen to the podcast know, I typically like almost everything, and I'm not going to say I disliked this movie, but I was surprised that I didn't love it. And as it went along, and then afterwards, I was like, yeah, it's just, I thought The Force Awakens was such a home run. It was so great. And they had all this stuff that they had put in motion. And then I just felt like this movie, what it really came down to, just for me, that it was it was lacking in heart. And there were some really disjointed storylines. And some of them felt unnecessary. The whole movie felt scattered. But my biggest problem was probably just Luke Skywalker at no point that he was on the screen did I feel like he was really Luke Skywalker. And look, obviously 35 years have passed since Return of the Jedi, but you know, there were extended stories in comics as Dave Dorman is fully aware, you know, the uh, Dark <laughs> Empire series, there are stories where there was an older Luke Skywalker that felt like Luke Skywalker. I had a lot of trouble wrapping my head around this. Well, I can understand how you felt with that, but let's look at it from Luke's perspective. Here's a man who believed in the Force very stringently, very strongly, and he believed that, I think, uh, he believed that with the, uh, um, the death of, of Anakin, with Darth Vader, that there was a, a great hope that uh, the darkness had gone, had left. 
and to find that one of his relatives was harboring this this darkness in him, I think that really affected him quite a bit. And then have that darkness come into him when he tried to kill Kylo at the academy. That scared him so much that I don't doubt that he went into exile and continued to be scared after all this time because he would be able to feel that Kylo's force growing, you know, through the galaxy. Right. I mean, so he was scared. And so I don't see, I, I, I mean, it, it is obvious that that's not the Luke Skywalker that we all know. Yeah. Uh, certainly. But for me, 35 years later, after knowing what he went through at the Academy, I can see him being a hermit and being scared. Yeah. And um, I mean, we saw, and, we saw Obi-Wan become and, a hermit, and, you know, when we meet him in A New Hope. I mean, he had clearly right. spent quite some time on his own. And I think that by the end of the movie, I felt like he was definitely acting like Luke again. And it sort of came back around. But it was as the movie was going along, I was just like, I, I, I just had a lot of uh, trouble with it. But I mean, everything you say makes 100% sense to me, Dave. It's just still this sort of lingering that, uh, you know, it just didn't really feel like Luke. Uh, Jeff, what were your thoughts about Luke in the movie? I liked him. I, I like the idea that he... So you've got Luke in the, the original trilogy. It's almost easy for him. And I know it's not really, but it's like, there's no real point in the original trilogy like I ever really felt like Luke was flirting with the dark side in any way it seems like right from the get-go he's like no i'm good and father you can be good too whereas i i liked how even just in that scene where ray's meditating on the rock and then he talks about the dark place and she just dives right in she's like yeah. let me find out about it yeah and his being like oh, you didn't even try to control yourself uh that to me was telling it was like he from my my perspective it seemed like uh, Luke is basically so scared of the dark side of the force, scared of that pull and temptation because that's kind of the way he was taught by Yoda and Obi-Wan, like, oh, don't let the dark pull you in. And then when he was able to pull his father back out, he felt like, oh, okay, so like you can be swayed on your side of the force and the light is strong. But then just, you think, by that point, he's what, like 20-something and he, things have been, like, rough, but relatively good for him. He's won a giant rebellion, and, yeah. like, life has been fairly optimistic. Well, now we're 30 years later. The Empire didn't die at all with the Emperor because you have the entire First Order. Uh, the dark side of the Force pulls just as hard as ever, and, like, this kid whom, you know, I think there's that extra layer of responsibility in, like, teaching Ben it wasn't just that he went to the dark side. It wasn't just that he considered killing him. It's like he considered killing his nephew. Like if this kid had no force powers at all, that would be like a really evil act, right? So well, especially when you consider that you know Luke's dad slaughtered like children at the Jedi Temple in right. Revenge of the Sith. Look, it, it it makes sense logically, and it's just it's more of an emotional reaction. But what it does touch on is. Surprisingly, what I think I liked the most about this movie was Kylo Ren's storyline and the interaction with Rey. And I would say that for me personally, Kylo Ren, or as I always referred to him as Kylo Ben or Millennial Darth <laughs> Vader, that he was, for me, such a weak part of Episode Seven. And obviously that was kind of the point. He's supposed to kind of be 
a wannabe Darth Vader, not Darth right. Vader. And right. just there was so much depth to his character. So, you know, I said that I felt like the movie was lacking heart. I think that that storyline, that interaction between Kylo Ren and Rey was great. I liked them talking to each other. And like Jeff touched on, I love the fact that she's just unsure of which way to go. And she knows in her heart to some extent that obviously the light, the goodness, and the right is where to go. But what about this idea that the answers are here? And one of the things that was resounding with my wife when we watched it was that Kylo Ren's idea of, yeah, just get rid of all of it, start over, do something new. My wife was like, yeah, let's get something new. And she's like, I don't think I should be swayed by Kylo Ren in the course of the movie. My wife didn't. Uh, my wife might probably like the movie less than I did. But, uh, you know, the idea that he was making sense is just, uh, well, it's a little scary. But I really thought that those scenes were so good. I don't even know quite how it worked, their connection. I know yeah. Snoke's like, yeah, I kind of helped you guys talk. And that was like a throwaway. But it was very cool. And it really grounded the story to some extent for me. Well, doesn't it make everything that much more complicated and interesting if evil, good and evil aren't so black and white? Like, Kylo Ren doesn't have to be all evil to be Kylo Ren. He can have a pull to the light. He can have a better, like, kinder side and still be this dark, evil emperor who does a lot of terrible things. We've seen characters like that in stories plenty of times. And Rey, she's the same way on the other side. She can have this pull to, towards the darkness. Um, that's a theme in Star Wars Rebel. You have Ezra ha, gets really pulled towards the dark. He's got Maul as essentially a master for a short period of time. Yeah. And that doesn't necessarily seem like it's corrupted him in any way going forward. So I think maybe that more well-rounded force user, not even Jedi necessarily, maybe what we're heading towards. I think that for me, Kylo is scared because he knows that Ray's power is much force power is is much stronger than his because when they did the the mind meld thing she could see him but he could not see her and um I think that 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 tells a little bit about who's who's stronger here and so that makes him scared and then when they get into the throne room and they have the battle. I mean, both both of them know that 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 they need to fight together to get out of that situation. So they do that. But we find that I think Kylo grows much much more in that scene because he realizes that Snoke and and the First Order, not the First Order maybe, but but his, Snoke's reign over the First Order uh, is not the way to go. It's it's not going to succeed. And he wants to bring Ray, obviously, more to his side. So in a number of ways, having him kill Snoke sort of gives him a step up on things. But he doesn't realize that Ray is really fighting the dark side. I think she understands what he's trying to do. But going to the dark side is not going to achieve the sort of freedom of the galaxy that... that uh, you know, she yearns for. I mean, she was a slave. Yeah. And so she doesn't want to see that happen again. And she knows that the First Order will do that and is doing that. The interesting thing is that he clearly realizes that he needs her help if he's going to basically rule the galaxy. Ray, she probably doesn't need anybody's help. 
You know, if she if that was what she was focused on, she wouldn't actually need anybody. And, and it's kind of interesting because, yeah, that pull, you know, that absolute power that corrupts absolutely, it has to be so enticing that it, it definitely makes her a more interesting and well-rounded character. I mean, to Jeff's point earlier, you never really saw Luke struggle to this extent. We saw Anakin struggle and unfortunately, you know, give into it. He wasn't able to fight it off, despite the things that were pulling at him. It, it's very interesting to compare Ray to Jyn Erso, uh, in in that Jyn was a, a sort of street urchin, same as, as Ray was, yet she grew up in the rebellion and her mindset was, this is a rebellion, I rebel. And Ray, who grew up as a slave, just wants to get off of the planet. She doesn't have any desire to join the rebellion. She just has been put in that situation by wanting just to get away. Where we see uh, uh, Jen uh, come into the rebellion and fight for all her life to make the rebellion successful, we don't see that with Ray. We see uh, someone who, who is just sort of thrown into it, and we really don't know what her main purpose is other to understand what the force is. I think that the, the uh, mystery of her parents uh, whether it is uh, a, a throwaway, doesn't really matter. She is who she is, but she has no direction yet. And I'm hoping that she'll grow a bit having been with Skywalker, uh, understanding him a little bit more. But you know, he, as, as uh, her mentor, was taken away before she was ready. But I think something really telling happens at the end of the film where we see them go into the Millennium Falcon and a drawer is opened and Skywalker put the uh, books of the Jedi into that drawer. It's like this really short cut. Yeah, but, but I did notice that. that. I did notice that they were in there. I thought that that, uh, that was a nice touch. And yeah, I think that Ray is just this really in-depth character that I think we'll get to know a lot more about her in Episode Nine, but obviously... There's all this sort of ancillary books and comics and things where I feel like she's going to get explored for you know years to come. Uh, yeah, I think after, after episode nine, we'll see a lot of material about her because I think if she appears in, in Ryan's trilogy or if she has any other adventures, it, it won't be as a starring character. It'll be as a, as a supplementary character in the films, but there'll be plenty of, of other material uh, written about her. What I found interesting in this movie is that you have, from my perspective, the most growth of all the other characters than the main one we're talking about, Ray, right? Finn grew a lot. Because um, right. essentially the Finn that we have in that first one, th this was something I felt like we were confronted with in this movie that you hadn't really thought of from the first one, which is that Finn is a natural deserter. Like, he deserted yeah. <laughs> the First Order. So, yeah, it makes perfect sense that when they're in this almost unwinnable situation in the Resistance, he's like, yeah, I got a, I got a dip. <laughs> and But it's not necessarily quite as cowardly as it seems, but at its root it is because he's trying to survive so that he can hang out with Rey again. 
Like yeah. that doesn't have any greater connotations. That's that's selfish. It's very selfish, but it made perfect sense. And I, I remember thinking that at that moment, like, yeah, of course he's he's going to run away. Uh, one thing I wanted to backtrack to was this idea that Ray could see Kylo Ren, but he couldn't see her. I actually wish that we couldn't see Kylo Ren because of the <laughs> completely unnecessary scene when he had his shirt off. Dude, you didn't look that good. You could have kept his shirt on. You know that was that really took some points away for the movie. But as you alluded to, Dave, that scene in the throne room was so well done. It was so epic mm. that well, I'll never forget. I'll never be able to unsee Adam Driver with his shirt off. But I was able to not have it, you know, weigh down my heart the way it had. And that was just so well done. The idea that they teamed up because, like, well, we have to. Yeah. And just that situation. And just well, I, I thought it was just brilliant that um, Snoke put that lightsaber right there. And it was a brilliant bit of writing to have Kylo Ren take that and not have Snoke know what he was doing because it was so subtle. Yeah. And then uh, turn it on and, and kill him. Um, uh, and, and plus, as a story note, you know, that was just sort of a, a shocking uh, a scene because everybody expected, well, you know, we got to know what's happening, who, who he is, you know, how he got to be the, the uh, emperor and blah, 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 blah. No, that's not important. Uh, you know, we're 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 at the point now where where Ray and and uh, Kylo are, are the two most important things. That to me uh, was was a real shocking moment, very unexpected and and very, uh, I thought very exciting. It was very exciting in the moment, and then after the fact, I started to think about like, well, why did we spend so much time with this character to have him killed off? But I do think it made sense. And the interesting thing is that if the Supreme Leader had been just slightly less obnoxious towards Kylo Ren, he probably wouldn't have gotten so angry and killed him. Yeah. You know, he's just like, well, I can see anything because you're a loser. You're an idiot. You're my little bitch. Yeah, that's really what it was. <laughs> and it was just like, well, you're egging him on. You're like asking yeah. him to do it, you know? I mean, I don't think he yeah. was going to kill Ren. Which so. lends to the idea that it was all just like a, a rope-a-dope, like that Snoke. If you look at all the damage that already looked like it had been done to him, plus the ridiculous theory that he's Darth Plagueis, if he was Plagueis, he could just he'd be fine. Right. He'd be alive. Well, yeah, and then I've seen a few theories also that he's not actually dead. Well, it was Darth a Maul projection. survived getting cut in half too. But Darth Maul survived getting cut in half in the terms of cartoons. That's We've true. never seen, we didn't see him survive <laughs> in the movies. And again, as Dave knows, extended universe, you're never quite sure what counts, you know, because that's that true. was in the uh, Clone Wars. So that's, I think still canon. I mean, that's essentially canon, but they can always decide for some reason that something isn't, you that, know, that, that doesn't, you know, I mean, at, at one point, I think we all thought that the great Timothy Zahn novels, uh, heir to the empire and the comic books, Dark Empire, which Dave did some amazing work for, uh, that uh, those were canon, but uh, we, we found out that they weren't. But because of those, I did, when I saw episode seven, I'm like, oh, I guess, so Snoke is one of those clones of the Emperor's body that just deteriorated really fast. And again, we don't know. Maybe we never know, but I think that's the point. He's not what's important. Do we know if the Praetorian Guard were the Knights of Ren? I don't know. Do, do you have you any know, sense I, of that, I Dave? I never even thought that 
would be the first time I've heard about. That's very interesting. Uh, that would be uh, concept. Well, I think their helmets. Uh, although, lined up. although if they are the Knights of Ren, and it's obvious that um, Kylo sort of was leading them in the destruction of the Academy, uh, that they would have a problem in turning on him at, at the end of, of yeah, or in that scene in the throne room. And I'm going to stop myself from making a Knights of Stimpy joke and just move on because I don't think anybody's going to really enjoy that. And again, it's a very plus to be Knights of Love. Some of us would enjoy that. Yeah, um, one of the scenes that probably isn't the best scene in the movie, and what happens, and it might not even be amazing, but my wife definitely disagrees. I loved the scene with Luke and Yoda. And I did a little research after the fact because I was convinced that that was Puppet Yoda, not CGI Yoda. Mm -hmm. And from what I've read, that was indeed Puppet Yoda, Mm -hmm. which is so crazy because Puppet Yoda looks so much more real than CGI Yoda. Puppet Yoda, who I think they made in 1979, you know, obviously this would be like a new puppet. But the idea that they designed him that long ago looks better than whatever technology they could do a CGI with. And I was just so excited to see him because he's acting like... The Yoda from Empire Strikes Back, the yeah. older, you know, carefree, jokester, trickster kind of Yoda, not serious Jedi Knight, you know. I think of him as like when people get so old that they're just allowed to like crap their pants and no one can do anything. And then they take that freedom to just act totally insane. That's the kind of Yoda I think of Hermit Yoda as. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, I, when, when that scene came up, I, I went to, to the um, movie with my son on a 10.30 on Thursday show. And that scene came up, and I said, that's Puppet Yoda. And I turned to Jack, and I said, that's Puppet Yoda. And he said, yeah, it is. And which surprised me, because, you know, he grew up with the uh, uh, with the prequels and seeing, yeah. you know, CGI Yoda. But, you know, once, once it started moving around with sort of bobbing his head up and down, I was just, man, I can't believe that they actually did Puppet Yoda. This is like the coolest thing ever. And it was just a wonderful, you know, throwback to uh, uh, Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. Uh, I just really, really liked that they did not do the CGI thing. As cool as it was in Attack of the Clones that Yoda used the Jedi and was a badass, and that is one of the few scenes in that movie that I really, really like, it's still so much better to see this Yoda. This feels like the real Yoda. This Yoda you feel like is kind of the embodiment of Frank Oz, whereas the CGI Yoda was like, oh, yeah, Frank Oz went in a studio somewhere, recorded some lines, and (laughs) didn't do any. It didn't move. CGI Yoda was the answer to the question of, like, oh, this old, wise, cool man. Man, how great really was he? Yeah. And so they had to make him super badass, lightsaber dueling Yoda so that he, it was like, oh, he, he once was quite great and scary. Yeah, which you always figured, but we had never seen. Uh, quick question for you, Dave. Uh, how old is Jack now? Is he 10, 12? Or... He's 13. Oh, 13. So what did he think of the movie and in relation to what he had seen before? He liked the movie. I mean, he's growing up in in a household of Star Wars. Yeah. I mean, that's he, that's all he's known all of his life. He spent, you know, his his formative years as a baby in the crib in my studio, you know, watching watching me, you know, paint Star Wars and and having stormtroopers come in as I take reference and and so he he's definitely into it. Yeah, and um, and of course Star Wars helps put food on the table, so you know, there's exactly. something to be said for that. Blue milk on the table. <laughs> yeah, blue yeah. milk on the table. Uh, that was that was just weird. I sort of cringed at that scene. Yeah, I uh, don't know. I don't know why we had to have Luke milk 
something because ever. where do you think that blue milk comes no, from? no i understood that it didn't didn't, didn't it, have to know yeah exactly i did it, it could have just <laughs> been at the at the supermarket i, I didn't need yeah. to see it actually happen but yeah. uh but but uh jack is a big fan of, of the films he wasn't so much um early on because he really grew up with uh, the clone wars sure yeah uh, so it took him uh, a while to understand that there were live action movies instead of uh, CGI cartoons. Uh, once we started watching the movies on, on DVD, he really uh, enjoyed it quite a bit. And so he's gotten to be a very um, interested, uh, uh, especially in, in original trilogy um, characters, you know, Luke and, and Han and, and Leia, Chewbacca. So Force Awakens, he was very excited with. And then this one, he, he really liked as well. I, I think we're both in the same boat uh, on that. It was, it was a very fun night at, at the movies and, you know, great characters. And, and so, yeah, he is definitely uh, um, on board with waiting to see the next one. Yeah, as, as uh, of course, as, as am I, as is everyone, even people who are saying that they hated this movie. And look, I'm very critical, and I think I'm just stunned that I didn't love this movie the way I love The Force Awakens. But uh, as we've been saying, there's so many things that I did like, and I'm very excited for the next movie because I'm convinced well, that any questions, any lingering feelings that I have that are even slightly negative, I feel like after episode nine, maybe not everything, I think a lot of them, I'm going to feel like, okay, this stuff happened so that it could put into place episode nine, which again goes back to what my problem with Empire Strikes Back always is, is that it's just, it's incomplete. It's like, right. you know, when it, when it's all said and done, Empire Strikes Back is a great movie, but when you have to wait three years to see where it goes, you're like, yeah, yeah but what about, and, and why does Boba Fett only have one line? You know, there's just too many questions. Why does it. Boba Fett suck so bad? <laughs> well, he's such an awesome looking character, yeah. but you never really get to see it, him do Kind of like Snoke. It's basically like, oh, you yeah. look like you could be a real badass. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, um, so, so yeah, I, I mean, if, if you look back on it, and, and I was old enough to, uh, you know, read the old Starlog magazines and, sure. and other fan magazines. And, and you know, Empire Strikes Back wasn't, uh, you know, the greatest film, you know, to fans because it seemed incomplete. It was the middle part of a, of a trilogy. And, uh, you know, fans just wanted more coming out of it. Uh, but now, I mean, now that they have a context for it, you know, a lot of fans say that that it was, you know, one of the best of the original trilogy, you know, the best of the three. So I, I think that uh, uh, time will judge um, uh, Last Jedi uh, after you know, Episode Nine comes out because uh, we'll get the whole picture. Yeah, and sort of what I was alluding to before is the idea that there's like petitions going around saying, Disney, you have to remove Last Jedi from the Star Wars canon. Make episode eight again. Put episode nine on the back burner. Like, just, just, I mean, that's, that's so crazy. Like, even Star Trek fans who have, are, are very nitpicky in particular about everything would just look at that and go like, well, no, you can't. You, you can't just undo it, you know? It's like, well, maybe, maybe this Star Wars movie was in a mirror universe. But I, I don't quite get that level, you know? And I think I'm just very harsh criticizing the movie because of what Star Wars has always meant to me and what I wanted it to be. Do you know what the main gripe is? from those those people that are so upset? Uh, it actually has a lot to do with Luke, that he would never act like that and <sighs> that it wasn't a fitting end to the character. There's a million other things. I feel like it's the same story from after Man of Steel when I had to have debates with everybody. Superman wouldn't act like that! 
I mean, if, Why if, if he had to, he, he did. If, if Superman <laughs> had to kill somebody, I guess I guess he would. But this is definitely not the place for for that debate. But uh, <laughs> all that being said, I, I do have a, a few more criticisms of the movie and a few more things I love. But Dave, you mentioned early in this conversation that some of the comedy didn't really land and. Look, I love jokes. I've uh, made a decent living in times in my life writing jokes. This had way too many jokes. There were moments where I was just infuriated. I was like, this is Star Wars, not Guardians of the Galaxy. And the fact that the movie starts in the first few minutes with a not particularly funny, like, uh, yeah, I'm I'm holding for uh, General whatever that guy's name is. Hux. Uh, Hux. Can he not hear me? It is funny and people laughed, but I was just like, no, don't start my movie like this. You put that somewhere else to like relieve tension. And it was just, here's the thing. Comedy is great. This was silly at times, and silly doesn't work. And to bring it back to Star Trek, Star Trek Four is a great movie because it's very funny. Star Trek Five is a piece of garbage for a number of reasons. One is that it's just silly and slapsticky, and they miss the point. So sprinkling comedy throughout, like I, I'd read that, Carrie Fisher rewrote a lot of her dialogue. And so when Luke comes up and sees her for the first time, and she's like, I know what you're thinking. My hair's different. So she came up with that. That's actually kind of funny. You know, that's all right, because mm-hmm. it's it's it sort of diffuses what's, a, for me, one of the best moments yeah. in the movie. But just some of the other comedy, I was just like, we, 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 don't, we don't need this. And Jeff and I said this a lot about after we saw Justice League. It was like, why are you putting so much comedy where it's not needed? Yeah. There's times that it works. There's times in this movie where it works. I think it's very funny that sort of the the helper caretaker people on the island that Luke's on hate Ray because she keeps breaking all of their shit. Yeah. That's funny to me. That's good. I liked that. That was a nice touch for what was a really heavy storyline. But some of this stuff was just silly. Well, I'm trying to think it was like a, a wink or something ridiculous that Luke did at some point where he was like, eh, it was like the ultimate cheese face. Yeah. It was, I think it was some point in his fight with, uh, or like right before he went out, he like winked at somebody. And I was like, oh, really? Yeah. Like, that's, <laughs> no, don't do, don't do that. Yeah, uh, I also love that they do the fake snow planet. Like in the commercials, you think it's going to be hot. And yeah. then they're like, it's not snow, it's salt. Yeah, they're I like know. we didn't copy it again. Yeah, it's, it's salt. It's totally salt. different. I know. <laughs> well, I want to come back to that uh, salt planet oh, thing. Sure. Uh, in in a, in a minute, but uh, I want to talk about the humor a little bit. I think uh, unlike the original trilogy, these writers are, I think, trying to write jokes and you know fall flat. It's silly, like you said, it's silly. Uh, I I could see exactly where they where they came from with that. Is Luke and, and Han and Chewie in the um, in the prison uh, level uh, in Star Wars, where he shoots the uh, uh, guard, and then somebody on the intercom says, uh, oh, "What's going on down there?" And, and Han jumps up and says, "Oh, nothing. No, just a, <laughs> we're uh, we're fine. A, How a are function. you? Everything's yeah. fine. How are you?" Yeah. <laughs> and and you know it's just sort of spur of the moment goofiness because he's making fun of these, you know, really rigid military guys. And uh, uh, Poe's uh, comments were just, like you said, silly. They had no real context. Yeah. There's plenty of other ways to stall someone in a conversation rather than sounding, you know, very 1990s-ish, yeah. uh, you know, TV <laughs> humor. You know, um, you made me so- think about something. You're talking about basically Ryan Johnson and, you know, the writers for, for movies now basically sitting down and writing jokes. And I think that the key isn't 
sitting down to write jokes is finding jokes in the story that you're telling, in the dialogue that you're already having. You're like, oh, you know what's kind of a funny turn of phrase here is that. That works in what we're doing. It's not crammed in there. And I think that there's too many instances of that. And by the way, let me just call out Poe Dameron. He was not in Force Awakens nearly enough. I felt like he was in this movie way too much and I was just like, no, I don't know what the happy medium is, but I I, I want less than this, but more than the last one because I was just like, first of all, he's kind of a jerk. Not like Han Solo was, you know, just, he was a rascal. Yeah, but this guy right. is like, well, he's just kind of a jerk. I think it's interesting that Poe was supposed to die when that TIE fighter crashed. Originally. Oh, well, that's right, in Force and, Awakens. Yeah. yeah, and so that all the like, rest of it was, they brought him back because they were like, Oscar Isaac, you're getting real popular yeah. and, and you did a pretty good job <laughs> in that early. Let's let's make you a larger character in this going and forward. And if they ever need somebody to sing Lewin Davis's songs, yeah, then obviously perfect. you've got the guy to there you go. do that on the show. <laughs> Star Wars! <laughs> Uh, Dave, you wanted to say something about the salt planet that was not Hoth. Basically, whatever the name of that planet is, it's not Hoth. Not Hoth. Not. Yeah. Um, no. So, so I'm going to digress just a little bit. Wait, well, that's what we do here on the broadcast. Okay. So the advertising for this film, all of the the promotional visual advertising, posters and and you know tie-in books and promotional stuff, red and gray and white, all of it. It was just irritating. It was just awful. So I wrote a little Facebook uh, rant about this last week. Uh, not Since I had seen the film, I wanted to see how it relates to the film. And um, I, I think it was just a really poor choice uh, from, from the, the uh, promotional department uh, to choose those colors. Because with all the um, current division in in political and, and social aspects, you know, Nazism is being battered back and forth, you know, everywhere. And uh, that's the first thing that comes to mind. And I talked to a lot of people saying, you know, when you see that red, black and white, there, there are certain societal, you know, historic things that come to mind immediately. And that was one of them. So it really bothered me a lot to see that in um, uh, in the advertising uh, for this film. And uh, so after I saw the film, I mean, obviously they had the snow planet in the, the previews. So they're dragging these th- this stuff, uh, the salt, so that the red clay, I guess, you know, comes up. So we got that. We got the, the Praetorian Guard being red. We got Snoke's uh, throne room uh, being red. Oh, there's one or two other things that, that were pr- predominantly red. So I can see them sort of tying that in. But there was a lot of other colors uh, that they could have chosen uh, for the promotional material. And I think that all goes to ba- goes back to, you know, Drew Struson's posters for the, for the movies were always very interesting color-wise. Colors told a story in those posters, that artwork. Even, even when I was doing... Uh, covers for Dark Horse and, and Marvel, I, I think of color first as a storytelling element. And um, so I can understand a very small smidgen of, of um, uh, 
Fox promotion or well, not Fox. I'm sorry. It's Disney uh, now. D- yeah. Disney. Yeah. Disney uh, promotion uh, saying, OK, well, we got this red predominant, you know, let's make that, you know, the big advertising thing. And that was their mistake, I think. They could have made it more colorful. I definitely agree. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, I didn't. But, but I didn't really think about this. Of course, leave it to the artist to see things this way. <laughs> and like you said, color being such an important part of storytelling, the, I just always found the advertising to not really have any kind of reaction. You know, I, it didn't invoke anything for me. I, I was yeah. very numb so, to it. So, I just looked at it and I'm like, I'm, I'm not excited. I mean, obviously I'm excited that yeah. there's a new Star Wars movie, but, you know, Star Wars posters and, you know, teasers and things are, should always be very exciting. These were very dull, you know? My wife yeah. pointed out that it looked like the advertising for the Hulu show Handmaid's Tale, and I'm like, yeah, this is a very different story <laughs> than that. I don't think that that's who you want to take a page from. Yeah, it, it to me, to me the, the artwork that they used and it was all over it just wasn't the movie poster it was on cups and the uh tin uh popcorn uh, thing that i got at the movie um it, it felt oppressive it didn't feel uplifting uh it, it 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 made it uninteresting to me to look at that if i didn't if i didn't know what the movie was about i don't know if i'd be interested in going to see it based on uh, the color choices they made for the promotional material. And, you know, they're using that through all of the um, uh, paperback books, the tie-ins. They mm. did that with the, the prequels as well. They chose this sort of three-color uh, tritone thing that they did, and they've been using that on uh, the the books uh, that you can buy at Barnes & Noble or, or Amazon. If you look, you'll see that they're these really stark sort of graphic-y things instead of, you know... You know, I'm biased, but you know, nice painted work. <laughs> sure. No, I mean, look, um, it's uh, you know, you're you're biased for a reason, and I think that it's only with something like Star Wars that you're able to kind of take this artistic, lowercase artistic, sort of a gamble with a property that you don't really need to sell it, I guess, and maybe that's what they felt, but I mean, they probably should have. You know, it would have been great if, if this wasn't the choice that they had because, uh, yeah, it certainly doesn't indicate a particularly, you know, visually exciting movie when you see all of that sort of stuff. Star Wars, a Christmas tale. Yeah, basically. There you go. Yeah. Um, you know, but, but you know, we go, go back to the, my original thought when we were talking about the salt. Sure. Well, you got the salt and, and uh, you know, covering the, the clay. But then when you get to the mountain... It's not red inside the mountain. Oh, yeah. Inside the fortress. It's just regular old stone. For me, there was little continuity in you know, set design as far as that went. I think that they were going for, like you said earlier, the Hoth but not Hoth yeah. you know, look. However, at the end of that scene where Luke is fighting Kylo and... The sun is going down, and then all the, the walkers blast Luke, and Luke walks out of it. And then they stand there, and they're, they're talking, and there's a sunset in back of Kylo Ren. And it's just this beautiful sort of gold color with with the uh, walkers in the distance sort of gray-purpled out. And that was really a fantastic scene for me, just visually, uh, seeing, seeing that set up as the sun goes down uh, over the desert. 
uh, for that. Yeah, no, visually there was definitely some great stuff in all of that sequence, really. Uh, I hadn't really thought so much about the inside of the mountain, but obviously it makes perfect sense. That was a planet that was very interesting, but I would say that for me, the movie, the biggest stumble the hardest thing to just sort of get through was when they go to the casino planet for a storyline that was actually completely unnecessary as far as I was concerned. And it gets super preachy. And look, I'm not saying that it's not right to say that, you know, hey, animals and people should be free. That's fine. But it's it's so heavy handed and they're just sort of yeah. beating our head, beating us over the head with it. And I was like, you know, this is a Star Wars movie. I, I really like to be having fun right now. And I guess I'm just very disappointed that the code breaker that they were there to find wasn't Lando Calrissian. Just because for a minute, I was just like, man, well, he would wear something like that on his lapel. Wouldn't that be great? I'd love to see Lando. Where yeah. is Lando in these movies anyway? But yeah, uh, that that, that I think that that is just sort of like... It's almost like if this were a TV show, that would be an episode that you're like, yeah, we you can skip watching that episode, the one where they're on the casino world, where nothing really happens. And some of the casting in the movie, this ties right into that, Benicio Del Toro, it kind of took me out of the movie, the him, his character, not because he's bad, he's a fantastic actor, but it was distracting. And every time Laura Dern was on screen, I'm like, oh, look, it's Laura Dern with purple hair. (laughs) I couldn't buy her as anything other than Laura Dern with purple hair. And that's just because, obviously, she's such an accomplished actress. She's great. But I I just couldn't buy into it. And those were a couple things that distracted me. But, Dave, specifically, I wanted to get your thoughts about that casino world and sort of the different sequences. So there's the casino, there's the racetrack, there's the stables, there's the slave kids. Uh, What did you think about all of that? I think it could have been done differently and more interestingly. The introduction of the codebreaker, Benicio, I thought his character was fun. It wasn't like standout, but it was fun having that little jitter and and you know stutter when he talks and a little little you know hiccup and and things that that made him more of a character unlike laura dern who was just sort of laura dern uh what i did like is that he sold them out because usually in movies like this they trust people that they shouldn't trust and it all works out for them so i did like there was this one point where you're like the guy that you knew you shouldn't trust, yeah, you shouldn't have trusted him. And yeah. that's part of like a, a series of unfortunate events, really, for our heroes, <laughs> where nothing yeah. that they try to do goes right. So that really heightens kind of the desperation. It was sort of a frustrating yeah. feeling as I watched the movie. But Yeah, uh, yeah. I, the, the whole set piece of, of the uh, casino planet, um, I, can, I can see where they wanted to go with the story. I don't think that having a casino planet uh, really matters. It could have been pretty much anywhere, you know, as as long as they hit the beats that they needed to. And that was, you know, find out that uh, they couldn't get the code breaker, so they get somebody else. Rose meets the kid, because that has to tie into the end. And the whole horse thing, uh, unnecessary. Um, so I, I think that uh, they were they were trying to do something very flashy, uh, visually. Um, and, and they pushed it too much. Uh, it's, it's it, like you say, it, it felt out of place. It was, it was like, um, 
Battlestar Galactica when they went to the uh, casino planet. Yeah, you're you know. talking about the original TV movie for right. the 70s series, yeah, with the uh, three-eyed dancers and things right. like You know what? I didn't make that connection, but yeah. That really did feel like that Battlestar Galactica. Uh, and we're not talking about, you know, cool, dark, gritty sci-fi channel reboot no. Battlestar Galactica. The, you know, this is, you know, Dirk Benedict with uh, with the Pompadour, basically. And, Very much uh, TV uh, yeah. uh, looking. You know, if they could have just hit the beats in a different way, that would have been fine. But let's talk about something else. Yes, uh, but I, uh, I wanted to get Jeff's thoughts on the, oh, the all sorry. of that. Yeah. No, that's okay. My impression of it was it just reminded me a lot of, uh, I don't know if you've ever played the video game Metal Gear Solid, but uh, the guy who writes all those games, it's like Koji Uehama or some, some name like that. Okay. I can't think of it. They always love to have these like really complex storylines about like the military industrial complex oh, is boy. what's really driving yeah. all this conflict. Right. And so it made me wonder if... At the root of it, they're showing that it's like this greed and and everything is the real root of evil in the galaxy. It's not tapping into force powers. It's these people that are happy enough to play both sides of the coin to sell yeah, weapons to but, hurt innocent but, people. Yeah, but you go back to the, the uh, uh, prequels. That's all that was about. Yeah, yeah, I mean, we definitely sort of have, so, have hit those notes before. And I didn't dislike the character of Rose but I wasn't particularly invested in her. She just sort of was, we were sort of, you know, look, in Star Wars movies, characters get thrown together all the time. And there, I don't know, there was just something about her. Uh, Jeff, her sister was Colleen Wing, right, from Iron Fist? Is Pretty sure. Same actress, yeah. Pretty sure. And I was just like, well, why did you kill her? I love her. I wanted to see her in this movie. <laughs> well, Colleen Wing is the best part of Iron she, Fist. She had to die because we needed the person who was kicking that to be a good karate kicker. Yeah, and, and so you're saying that Colleen Wing is not a good karate kicker? How no, I'm saying she was. She I, kicked it hard oh, enough to make the thing fall all yeah. the way down. You yeah. think her sister Rose, the non-martial artist, yeah. could have done that? All right. Not a gonna, chance. I was going to kick you out of the dojo, but... Uh, <laughs> You know, I, I'm not even, it's again, there's very little that I outright disliked in the movie. There was just something about the character that I didn't feel as invested in her, but it's probably because she was such a big part of this storyline. And, you know, Finn is a part of this storyline, and I'm just like, I kind of wish he was doing more Finn stuff, you know? Yeah. But uh, I wish that fight well, with at, Phasma was better. At, we'll at, get to yeah, that. Yeah, that was a real disappointment. But yeah. Phasma's just been a whole disappointment altogether. Yeah, because... Uh, another Snoke. Phasma, yeah. it's just, like, what she looks like. And she looks so cool. And now it's two movies, and in theory she won't be in anymore. And we, we've got two movies that she's been completely underused. And I you guess know, my, she's the Boba Fett of this series. <laughs> I mean, she talks more than Boba Fett, at least. But... <laughs> That's my final, like, actual complaint, and then we'll sort of tie it up with the things that I like the most. But there were some just completely unnecessary deaths on both sides. Uh, on the Rebel side, obviously, Admiral Akbar dying off screen. So not only does he die, but we don't see it. And, like, if, if and anything... And it specifically. Yeah. And, well, and look, I think that that's a story point because you have to explain why if... General Organa Solo is incapacitated. You feel like Admiral Akbar would probably be the next in line. I don't know where Mon Mothma was during all this. That's not the point. Uh, I guess that that was why they felt like they needed to kill him off. But I was like, well, why couldn't he just be hurt? 
You know, why couldn't he have realized at the last second that it's a trap and he, you know, got hit in the head with something and he wasn't dead. But, you know, it just, you know, for such a like beloved character to die off camera, uh, that hurt. And then when Phasma died, I was just like, all right, so there's like one mildly interesting fight with Finn and he just kind of somebody posted on Facebook. Basically, he killed her with a. What's up? Move, you know. Basically, just like jumps back up and gets her, and you're like, yeah, I feel like I, I'm not even that invested in that character, and I feel like she deserved better. Uh, Snoke, the way he died, I think really fit into that story. It was surprising, and I was just like, oh, I kind of wanted to know more about him, but like we were saying, I think that's not the point. So the the ones that really stand out are Admiral Akbar and Phasma, and I was just like, well, why are they dead? You know, why? You know, I mean, how many times did we see somebody that could be left for dead, but we're not sure. You know, I, I think they okay, felt like okay. he was just let, a bit of fish br- out of water. Let, let me let me inject something here real quick. Yes, and I don't mean to talk over anybody. No, that's all right. That's um, the the so, beauty of technology. So at the end of, of the movie, you know, we're watching the credits, and I say really loud, "We got to stay for the end of the uh, end of the credits because there's going to be a scene afterwards." <laughs> It's a lot of people turn around and, and uh, that's just a, a, a off off the, the side joke. So uh, Jack and I are talking during the credits, and uh, I say, "I bet Phasma comes back for episode nine. And he goes, "No, she won't." And I, I go, "Why? She just sort of fell off into the fire." And he goes, "No, she fell into space. She's gone." And I'm just, "No, they were fighting, and she fell into the fire on the next deck." He goes, no, she's gone. She's out in space. Well, let's put it this way. She's as gone as Anakin's lightsaber, which suddenly showed up in Episode Seven. So, you know, yeah. so, things so can be found. It wouldn't surprise me if she showed up <laughs> yeah. in some sort of Darth Vader-ish, you know, rebuilt, you know, yeah. mechanical man type thing, Ta- you know, continually after Rey. I'm going to get you. Yeah, talking about, you know, rebuilt mechanical, what did you guys think about Kylo Ren doing away with his helmet? I thought it was kind of cool, very impractical, and obviously not as cool as the Darth Vader helmet, but just the idea that, you know, Snoke said take that ridiculous thing off, and so then he, of course, in true Kylo Ben fashion, (laughs) throws a little hissy fit and breaks it. Uh, I was like, oh, so we're done with the helmet. That and the badass lightsaber was really all you had going. Adam Driver is not a particularly imposing villain. Uh, I... I kind of like the helmet. Uh, I'll ask Jeff first. What did you think, Jeff? I think it's a good choice, and I think here's why. Because this is where Kylo needs to diverge from Darth Vader, right? We had him as, like, the faux Darth Vader in the first one, and he's very reminiscent. He's trying to be intimidating and scary. But a lot of the product of Darth Vader's, like, suit and his intimidation from it is actually him having lost power. If he had just stayed fully uh, animate, Anakin, he would have had more uh, ability to manipulate the Force because you're supposed to have like flesh to be able to do that. So supposedly, all the robot parts is what limited his growth and made him subservient to the Emperor because he obviously uh, would have surpassed. Not him. enough. 
not enough midchlorians in there. Mm-hmm. They all got blown off. Exactly. That, that, that's true. That, that is definitely what <laughs> happened. got cooked out. Yeah. <laughs> it's, almost, it's almost like uh, George Lucas stood up in the back of the room and explained, like, yes, it's because of the midchlorians. Um, uh, by the way, one of the thoughts that I had, uh, you know, I, I think that I've had, uh, you know, a few days for the movie to kind of sit with me. But my initial reaction was, and I think people would be surprised, I was like, I think George Lucas would have made a better episode eight than Ryan Johnson did. I think that that might have been, uh, I wasn't drunk, but that might have been the whiskey talking. You know, that might have just been in the heat of the moment <laughs> that I thought that because I started to think back on, on some of his work. But on the whole, there's some great stuff in here. But the things that bothered me, I guess, really bothered me. But where I do kind of want to tie it together is sort of something that we touched on very briefly, which is sort of this great scene with Luke and Leia that is so heartbreaking, not even so much because of what's happening in the course of the scene, in the context of the movie. It's because you know that Carrie Fisher died. And crazy enough, she died like a whole year ago. And you just know that there's not going to be another scene with them, or at least, I mean, unless they do like, you know, CGI Grandma Tarkin sort of thing, which I don't think they'll do. But you feel like this is the last time we're going to see them together. And I don't know that it was written that way, but it's like really them saying goodbye. So it is this really sort of overpowering moment at the end of the movie that I feel like it did kind of set the right tone, sort of this whole notion of saying goodbye to the Skywalkers because to Kylo Ren's point, you know, it's like, you know, let's start over again. Let's get rid of everything that's old. Let's destroy it. Mm-hmm. And the idea that, yeah, it, it's it's going to be Ray and Kylo Ren's story in episode nine. And obviously we'll see, you know, Force Ghost Luke at some point, I'm sure. But it's not, this trilogy is not Luke Skywalker's trilogy. He had his trilogy already. He's just sort of some echoes here as we see in this movie. But uh, I'm just sort of wondering, Jeff, what were your thoughts on that sequence? And I thought it was beautiful. Uh, you definitely get those feelings when you see those scenes having the extra significance. And I'm glad that they didn't kill her off only because it would have felt a little cheap. I'd, I'd rather it be in the crawl at the beginning of the next movie, like, uh, General Organa yeah. has passed, and, like, the resistance has moved into a full-fledged rebellion, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, because if they had decided, well, we have footage of her getting sucked out into space, let's do some reshoots, and then it'll make sense. I'm glad that they didn't do that. I'm yeah. glad that they had stuff that they had filmed with her, and they kept it in the movie and didn't try to make it convenient. You know, that's the that, sort of real-world stuff, but I, I do think this scene was great. That was a nice surprise. You know, you, as, as a moviegoer, knowing the real-life concerns you know, of the film and not knowing what's going to happen, obviously, until you see the film, you think that that is going to be the end of, of Princess Leia. Um, and... Um, it's not. So it's a nice surprise. It's a twist that you don't expect. And and I thought that worked really well. Another scene that I really liked, it was almost it was almost really a throwaway, was the scene with Luke and R2D2. And, you know, just Luke just trying to explain to him that there's no reason to come back. And Luke even says that it's a cheap shot that he shows the message from Princess Leia from A New Hope, which I thought was just such a nice touch because you think about it that well, they're, I was going to say these two people, and they're not people, these two beings, he's not really a being. But these two characters have known each other for 40 years, and, you know, the, he's just such a more well-rounded personality than C-3PO is, and you feel like, no, he doesn't have emotion, but something resembling to it and understanding other 
people's actual people's emotion. Uh, I thought that scene was great too, and it, it sort of heightened the fact that we don't get enough R two D two in these movies. And mm-hmm. look, my son loves BB eight. I don't need so much goddamn BB-8 in this movie. Every time something happened, oh, BB-8's flying the ship. Oh, my God, BB-8's got... Okay, enough with the BB-8, you know? I get yeah. it, he's cool, but, like, uh, enough already. Let R2-D2 do something. Just something in the movie. He just sits on the Millennium Falcon and shows an old movie. It'd be funny if, like, R2-D2 reached out his little, like, probe to do something and, like, BB-8 reached in real quick and just, like, did it for him. Like, you are too slow and old. He's like, yeah, I, I got this, yeah. Dave, what did you think about that scene with uh, R2-D2, and am I overreacting with BB-8? Uh, no, I don't think you're overreacting with BB-8. I think that the scene with R2 and Luke was very reminiscent of A New Hope, which which you know established their relationship, and uh, this, this showing uh, the Leia uh, hologram, it sort of brings everything right, right around back. It shows, shows Luke what he's been missing all of these years and uh um you know just that that companionship uh, you know not having r2 with him uh while he's you know in his exile uh, i i thought it was a great scene absolutely i also just realized that luke takes on a similar role to obi-wan in that situation they're all looking for him to be the savior to to basically fix all of their problems just like originally Leia's looking for Obi-Wan. She's not looking for Luke. She's looking for this like old Jedi master who's like living out somewhere who's just going to come in and save the rebellion against like all these horrible odds that they're facing. And that's who right. Luke is, but in reality, he's going to save them by helping the next generation take over, just like Obi-Wan did. Like Obi-Wan led Luke to be the only hope just as Luke is making Ray the hope of the resistance. And really right. what what is it what is a better example to how first impressions don't necessarily tell the whole story than Princess Leia her first impression being aren't you a little short for a stormtrooper you know <laughs> and you know we'll forget about the moment where she gives her brother a kiss before they uh, swashbuckle away but right. uh, one uh, sort of final thought that I got from a friend of the black cast Jason Blair he said that after seeing now this second movie in this trilogy he likes Ray a lot he loved the scenes where she was flying the Millennium Falcon and obviously watching her you know man the guns that was great it's fun to have sort of a Han Solo swashbuckler who also happened to be a Jedi. And I actually really liked sort of that connotation to it because the Jedi, even really Luke, to some extent, were usually very serious. And the idea that she's this sort of more freewheeling, Han Solo-like character, I think is great. It's just the idea that the light and the dark side is more complicated is also heightened by the fact that the Jedi are more complicated uh, than we thought. And I do really think that Episode Nine is uh, going to really be a, a sort of a, a great telling of her story. Um, and right, sort of the, the final thought from you, Dave, because you had said earlier you had some thoughts about where you thought everything was going, and I wanted to give you the chance to, to say some of that before uh, we, we bid everyone a fond adieu. It was just a sort of overall real world. Uh, thinking uh, about this. I really think Disney taking over has changed 
the direction of anything that Lucasfilm was going to do or that George Lucas was going to do as far as the continuation of, of the series. Uh, I think once he sold uh, Lucasfilm to Disney, it, he just sort of threw up his hands and, and said, okay, you guys can take it in any direction you want. And so my, my belief is that this trilogy, um, seven through nine, is nothing like he wanted to do. It's, it's what Disney wants to do. And Disney's thinking long-term. They're thinking, okay, we'll wrap up the Luke Skywalker storyline and open it up to a, a whole world of um, uh, Jedi versus imperialism. And so we don't have any real heroes other than the ones that are already heroes, Princess Leia, Luke Skywalker. Uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi, and bad guys, uh, you know, Kylo Ren, uh, Darth Vader, um, the Emperor, Palpatine, and that's it. And then what they're going to do is they're going to start their own stories, their own characters, nothing that's tied into uh, what Lucasfilm has developed. And so they're going to move on. So I think that a lot of Star Wars fans are going to be very disappointed after 9 comes out because there's not going to be any more of the direct lineage of Skywalker in any films. And you know fans, they just love to have their stuff the same. Yeah. And, but Disney is is looking out for new generations. And so they're just building on what, what Lucas has started, but opening up to a bigger world. And I don't see any problem with that. Uh, I think that's that's good because it allows more stories to be told. I thought Rogue One was a great film. I really liked it a lot, and I want to see more of that type of rebellion film. You know, people fighting for what they believe in, and that's that's one of the things that that Ray doesn't have. Ray is fighting for what she believes in for herself, rather than for the greater good. And I think. Number nine will take her into the fight for the greater good, and that'll be fine. But after that, I don't think we're going to see her uh, in films again. So, you know, I'm not worried about that because from what I've seen, Disney can take care of the future of Star Wars. Uh, they've showed it already with uh, Rogue One, uh, with these two films, with the production aspect of the films being top notch. You know, the writing there's always problems in writing science fiction. So, you know, we're, you're always going to you know, come across that. But I think that um, the future of Star Wars, to me, looks very good. Um, the future of the Skywalker family, I think we're ready to end that tale and move on. So that's my thoughts. And, and you know, I know hardcore uh, Star Wars fans are not going to like that, but I really think that's the way it's going to go. It's interesting because uh, one of the things that I've seen sort of circling around on the Internet is that a lot of people's complaint about Episode Seven was that it was too similar to the old trilogy. And then people's gut reaction to Episode Eight was that it was too different. <laughs> so it, it yeah. really, they need yeah. to make that bowl of porridge that Goldilocks sat down and ate. The one that's just right. Don't be too much the same. Don't be too much different. Episode I, Nine, where they blow up Death Star 3. You know, I'm glad <laughs> you said that because overall, the best thing about this movie was that there was not a Death Star storyline. I thought 
thought we might have gotten one with the cannon at, out on the salt planet where there was like a weakness and I'm like, oh no, are we going to spend the whole... No, there wasn't. And it was also just a cannon. Because to not have a Death Star storyline was a great feeling. Uh, and look, on the whole, I'm, I'm definitely... I need to see the movie again because as I've talked about before here on the Black Cast, I get so excited for these movies that when I'm sitting there watching it, it's very hard to relax. To go in with an expectation now of kind of what I liked, what I didn't like, I think I'll see the movie in a different way. I don't think I'm going to feel that much different overall about it, but I think that I'll be able to appreciate things that maybe I, I didn't see at first. But, yeah, uh, some I, of the su subtler aspects yeah. of it you probably will. I haven't seen it a second time yet, so uh, as soon as Jack gets out of school next week, uh, we'll go to an afternoon show, catch it again, and... Uh, you know, I'll probably have a few more thoughts on it yeah. at that point, but uh, I'm I'm definitely looking forward to see it again. Well, anybody who wants to see those thoughts ought to follow you on Twitter at Dave Dorman, and uh, of course DaveDorman.com. And for your universe you've created, uh, WastedLands.com, I believe they can find there. But like you yep. said, if they just Google images you, they'll see some just some amazing artwork. Let me ask a quick question. I know yeah. I've said one final question like three times but uh sort of as you saw this movie was there something a character a moment something that you're like oh, i can't wait to paint this person or this thing that happened in the movie or in other way just sort of inspired by something well i could tell you what i was a little disappointed with sure that that i was i am looking forward to doing a painting of um but it didn't show up in the film was a relationship between ray and chewbacca Oh yeah, because she's she's taken the Millennium Falcon, and so um, you really didn't see anything happen between them as far as a developing uh, friendship or or partnership or something along those lines. And it really surprised me. I mean, he was he was on the island, you know, with her that whole time, but nothing happened. But after I saw Force Awakens. I sort of roughed out a, a painting of Ray and uh, Chewbacca uh, standing in front of the Millennium Falcon yeah. uh, as background. And so I've been excited about doing that. And then when I saw this movie, I thought, well, I'll still do the painting. But it, <laughs> it just it, it disappoints me that they didn't further that. Even, you know, a few lines of dialogue together, just sort of getting to know each other minus the porks. Yeah, uh, well, you know, it, it, you know, that was a disappointment. Other than that, there's some great uh, scenes. You know, I'm happy that Kylo lost the helmet uh, because I don't think it was needed. And I think it, it shows his growth that uh, he's not Darth Vader. Uh, he, he is his own dark Jedi. Uh, so I thought it was a good scene that they did that uh, character, you know, uh, rising scene. And uh, so certainly my next Kylo Ren piece is going to have him without the helmet. Well, I look forward to seeing that, as I assume most people listening will certainly look for it. I yeah. definitely agree that a Ray Chewie storyline would have been great, other than basically using him for the hired muscle to kick in Luke's door, which I thought was very funny. But because, like, yeah, you've got a Wookiee. You can go ahead and get that door open. That was great. <laughs> I would have liked to have seen just more stuff like that. But, you know, you mentioned the Porgs, and they're adorable, 
but man, I thought that like there was going to be one Porg and he was going to be basically like nine numb and have kind of like a funny voice and be a real character. But no, <laughs> they're just like the, the Minox, the sort of like the little like rats from Empire Strikes Back. They don't, they're cute, but they don't really serve any purpose. So that felt no. like a, a missed opportunity right there. I mean, a missed opportunity that was designed solely to sell stuffed animals, which I'll tell you already, somebody gave a gift to my baby daughter Lucy of a Porg. So now we've got a Porg in my house. I <laughs> hope that they're not like Tribbles where I'll go home and all of a sudden I'll have like 50 Porgs because then that's going to be a problem. Porg but- dinner? pork dinner for everybody. But anyway, Dave, thank you so much for being so generous with all your time. It's always so great to get the chance to talk to you about Star Wars. And I like that we have an opportunity once a year to talk about a new Star Wars movie. And well, uh, maybe maybe twice a year. We got Han Solo coming up in uh, uh, late spring. So. Yeah, I'm looking really looking forward to that. It'll be interesting to see because obviously there were problems with Han Solo. And yeah. you know, people criticize bringing in Ron Howard as a very safe decision but i think that's kind of what you need this is big business and when the interesting choice wasn't working out you're gonna go ahead and hire the guy that's gonna make his days get you a movie that you can put in theaters and make a ton of money and safe safe is good sometimes i think he's a good storyteller i think i think for humor built into a story he's a guy who can handle that and I and, think a Han Solo movie will definitely be served by there being a lot of humor in it. Yep, I, I think that I he's agree. a funny character, and I assume we're gonna—I I know we're gonna see Lando, and I feel like that obviously that that dynamic is very funny. My primary yeah. hope is well, first of all, it's gonna be hilarious because Lando, I'm pretty sure, is played by Donald Don Glover, Glover, who's yeah. hilarious. Uh, but I think the thing that will really land this Han Solo movie is if Ron Howard narrates it. Arrested Development style. <laughs> <laughs> that would actually be really funny if they if they did something like that. And I Chewy, what do I always say is the most important thing? <laughs> I can't I, I can't wait to see the cameo that he gave to uh, my pal Clint Howard, who uh, lives in the same town as me, and I yes. run into from time to time because we oh. know he'll be in it. But anyway, Dave, oh. thanks again. We've said goodbye like four times, but I mean it this time. Thanks so much. I uh, always enjoy seeing your thoughts on things, and whenever you share artwork, it's great. So people can follow you on Facebook. Facebook as well. Just look for Dave Dorman and of course at Dave Dorman yeah. on Twitter. Uh, Dave, we'll talk to you uh, sooner than a year, I hope, especially for Han Solo. I hope so too. All right, give yeah, it's, it's always great being here. Thank you so much, guys. Absolutely. Give my best to Denise and Jack and we'll talk to you soon. And of course, that brings our time here uh, to an end. Uh, Jeff, do you have any final thoughts about uh, the movie, Star Wars in general, life, the universe, and everything? No. That's it. That's all we got out of here. Thank you. Thank you for being succinct. And for that kind of wit and wisdom, you can go to at Jeff DeRay on Twitter. You can find me at Christian DMZ. And don't forget about the Blackcast at Blackcast. B-L-A-D-T-C-A-S-T. Blackcast.com. Like the Blackcast on Facebook. And my final thought, nobody asked, but here's my updated rankings of all the Star Wars movies. Return of the Jedi, A New Hope, Empire Strikes Back, Force Awakens, Rogue One, Revenge of the Sith, Phantom Menace, Last Jedi, and Attack of the Clones. I did not add Caravan of Courage or the uh, Battle for Endor, which I mentioned earlier, and I knew the names of both of them because I was going to make this joke at the end of the show. But here's the thing. The only... I I actually like the Phantom Menace. It it is a little long, and it is not perfect. There's a little too much trade negotiation (laughs) and certainly too much inside the Senate, but I actually... I, I kind of enjoy that movie. And if I see Last Jedi again, it'll probably jump 
it'll leapfrog over Phantom Menace. But uh, I think that uh, the Revenge of the Sith is actually a uh, very well-made movie. Uh, It sort of rewarded us for some of the things that we suffered through. But anyway, let us know your thoughts. You can always tell us what you think about the Black Cast and, of course, about Star Wars. Please disagree with me or say that I wasn't hard enough on the movie. Whatever you think, let us know at Black Cast, B-L-A-D-T-C-A-S-T, and, of course, the Black Cast on Facebook. We will be back next week with an episode that might sound familiar to some of you longer listeners of the Blackcast, but you are going to get the greatest Blackcast stories ever told, and I'll tease it forward a little bit. Oh, hi, Blackcast! So you're going to get a very great story in that episode. You know they're good because I wasn't there for any of them. Exactly. <laughs> the, the audio is going to sound great. Anyway, we will see you then, and we will see you next time on the Blackcast! Stormtrooper? Huh? It's a trap!